This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Welcome to the show. It is a Friday, football Friday, and uh, a very important football Friday. Sandy, thank you all for joining us on Mile High Sports. Danny Bailey in the booth. We have guests for you coming today. Eric Dean is going to join us in just a bit to talk about the Avalanche. Lost last night, but I have games on Saturday and Sunday, big conference games to discuss. And, of course, uh, at 5 o'clock, just about an hour from now, Mick Miller of Fox 31 will join us to break down the Broncos. That's where we start because, Sandy, you've brought it up before. Prior to the bye week in 2016, uh, after the Denver Broncos had beaten, interesting coincidence, the New Orleans Saints. Coached by somebody I think we've come to Become to be familiar around these parts. Beat the Saints twenty-five to twenty-three to go to seven and three. And you remember Trevor how Simeon they won that game? Had two hundred and fifty-eight yards passing. Yeah, but they they won on uh, a block kick, and that's why you get the strange score. And do we remember who returned that block kick? Justin Simmons. One Justin Simmons, exactly right. Uh, Justin year. Simmons blocked rookie it. And Justin then, uh, Simmons probably biggest Philly play. Philly Will of Parks Simmons ran it back uh, for that uh, 84-yard yeah. two-point conversion, right. which they got the 25-23 win. Right. The Broncos from there went two and four and finished nine. And oh, it's a killer loss. And that was the last was killer loss. That was the last uh, winning record the Denver Broncos have had. But here we are, Sandy. Right. A year and well, two weeks and seven <laughs> years removed. <laughs> Yeah. And this is the most That's monumental right. Bronco game That's since right. that span. That's right. Seven years. Yeah. And this is the biggest one. And let me give you the, the very simple number from Pro Football Focus who have who've gone through their calculations of it. If the Broncos win this game, and we broke that down earlier this week, especially the games with the Rams and Browns and the Titans and Colts that could break their way. But if the Broncos win this game, their chances of making the playoffs per, per Pro Football Focus, say that fast five times, jump to 64%. If they lose, it's 21 because of the teams they have to hop over because of the fact you'd lose the Texans who have the same record. This is by far, it's not even close. This is the biggest Broncos game in seven plus years. Well, the winner of this game will in effect have a two game lead over the loser. Right. Because they'll break the tie six, five and six, five records. So go to seven, five and six, four. And you'll have the tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. So they'd have to beat you outright in record. In effect, a two game lead over at least that one team. And there's no other game like it uh, in the NFL this week. Now, yeah, you do that's have a good point. Listen, you do have San Francisco at Philadelphia, yeah, I mean, which will be a major attraction. And that's one of the three late games on Sunday. That'll be fun. But both those teams are going to win their divisions, uh, they're going to be in the playoffs. And it would seem likely if not guaranteed highly likely that the winner of denver at houston will have almost a two to one chance to make the playoffs and the loser will have maybe a one in five chance and that might be exaggerating things a little bit so in terms of uh, determining uh one of the last entrants if not the last entrant in the afc playoff field this game is more important our friends over at superbook sports uh the lines have changed a little bit it's been three and a half all week in houston's favor both sandy and i think the game is going to be closer than that it's dropped a little as we get closer to game time houston now a three point favorite so just dropping that little smidge of a point but there is the feeling 
that what the Denver Broncos are Denver doing. Denver plus three and a half. You're, I would feel pretty, pretty. feel pretty good about it. Yeah. And we'll, we'll give our predictions for the game a little bit later. But the Broncos five game run in which, by the way, earlier in the year, their playoff percentages were three. <laughs> three. That's what happens when you start one and five. But they have earned their way back into this. And I think that's the part that's exciting. And I think when you look at a player like Russell Wilson, who I get it, positivity all around, all the time. I get it. But this is the kind of thing that Russell Wilson has been talking about all year. And you believe, you keep building, you keep trusting. The Broncos have earned their five-game winning streak. They have earned the opportunity here to play this game and take control of their playoff destiny. And I think for a team that is on a run, and yes, it's very hard to win five straight. It's extremely hard to win six straight. I get that. But it feels like what they're building is, at least for this season, sustainable. And you are hearing a lot of the players every week start to feel more and more as if the buy-in is there, as if they now all understand what the plan is. The offensive line has gotten consistently better. They played the best game last week that a Broncos offensive line has played at least since Super Bowl 50 season, and quite frankly, maybe even longer than that. I am not taking away from the five-game winning streak in the least, but just stating a fact, four of the five games were home games. Correct. After the Broncos started 0-3 at home. Right. So, you know, I think sooner or later, and it turned out to be sooner, the Broncos are going to win a home game. I mean, you go back even through the battle of AFL days, the Broncos did not lose four games in a row at home uh, to start a season. They didn't just never happened. And they were on the verge of doing that this year. They beat Green Bay to break the streak. Then they beat Kansas City. Uh, then they had a bye week, went to Buffalo. Most, including the two of us, thought they would lose that game. Certainly. Although I thought it would be reasonably close. And I think you did too. Not as I didn't have as much faith as you did. Um I was very but, pleasantly and, surprised. And, and, you know, yeah, it was a kind of a screwy game, but they did win it. But against this is a team kind of, that was desperate. This is now, kind but, of the way the Broncos they, are going to win, though, back, right now. They came back at home. They're designed to win more. ugly right now. Well, they okay, okay. But I, I'm just saying the test now comes with something that few teams have to confront, uh, at least not very often, and that's three straight December games in a row. Now, I, I'm not talking about weather because, you know, Houston will be fine. It's indoors. Well, all three of them are indoors. And the, well, Chargers and SoFi's indoors. Chargers and SoFi sort of, yeah. Uh, can they, isn't that retractable, though? Well, it's going to be indoors in December. It's L.A. If it's below 90, everyone gets cold. Yeah. It's chilly. they got to break out the parkas. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> Detroit, Detroit's, Detroit's obviously indoors. Yeah. So, I mean, they're uh, all indoors. So, weather's not a factor. Weather's not a factor, but you're, you're playing um, two good teams and one team that has a top five, top six quarterback uh, is struggling, not winning much. Coach is probably going to get canned if they lose another game that they're not supposed to lose, uh, whether it's at the end of the season or not. Um, but again, the list of quarterbacks, you know, y- you've had the last uh, two weeks, a backup Backups. quarterbacks playing true. And you had Jordan love before he Seems started to have figured it to out. Figure it out, right? Uh, you had Jordan Love at the right time. Um, you had Patrick Mahomes when he was the, sick. Was sick. Um, Josh Allen had no no excuses, excuses, but after the game, the offensive coordinator got fired. <laughs> uh, 
Uh, I, the Broncos seem to have a knack for doing that when they beat the Arizona Cardinals several years ago. Uh, they, they fired former Bronco coordinator Mike McCoy the next day. That and still then, has the same to be, thing happened with that's Dorsey. That's got to be the craziest thing that's that happened all year. Weird. A team weird. that coughed up 70 points later is the catalyst for a, a playoff favorite team to can their offensive coordinator. That's got to be the craziest thing oh, yeah. that's happened all Correct. year in the NFL. And, that's and, you know, Buffalo, that was one of those games. The Broncos had a bunch of takeaways. And uh, to me, in this game, you break it down, and we'll get back into this a little bit later on and maybe mention some other factors. But in weeks 9 through 12, the last four weeks, opposing quarterbacks facing Denver, have a combined quarterback rating of 31.9. 50 is average. That is the fourth lowest QBR or the fourth best defensive mark in the NFL over those four weeks. They are giving up 18 points per game. Surprisingly, that's only the 13th lowest figure over the last four weeks. It has not been a great year for offensive football in general in the NFL and quarterbacking in particular. However... They're going up against C.J. Stroud, who in the same time period has a quarterback rating of 68.3, the fifth best in the league, weeks 9 through 12. And the question is, can the Broncos force multiple turnovers, as they have frequently, 16 takeaways in the five-game winning streak and 15 takeaways in the last four games? Uh, That's the most in a four-game stretch for the Broncos since 1989, which was a Super Bowl year in Denver with the number one scoring defense in all the National Football League, coordinated for the first time by Wade Phillips that year. He succeeded uh, Jill Collier and his terrific staff uh, that had been in Denver essentially uh, from 1969 through 1988. Wade comes in and the Broncos lead the league in scoring defense, which sounded great until they got to the Super Bowl and the 49ers put 55 points on them. Right. And I, called I do remember called, that. called the defense uh, a very poor high school zone defense uh, on the part of uh, Wade Phillips, who grew yeah. a little bit as defensive coordinator over the years, as we all know. Uh, Stroud this year has had only three games in which he has turned the ball over multiple times, and strangely enough, he's 2-1 and one in those games. Uh, including a win over the uh, Arizona Cardinals that came within the last month. So (laughs) 22 takeaways for the Broncos overall in 2023. Yes, the same defense that gave up 70 points, 10 touchdowns to the Miami Dolphins in week three, leads the league in takeaways this year with 22. And 16 of the 22 have come in the last five games during this five-game winning streak. And here we are talking about, you know, last year, Ajiro Evero being a potential head coaching candidate of how are they possibly going to replace him. Vance Joseph comes in and ends up riding the ship over the course of the season. But but you're right when you bring up the other games. And, we'll you know, we'll talk a lot about the Texas game. But you're right about the stretch. Because if you want to look at, and there's probably a bit of an uh, understandable overlap as to why, QBR, which I agree with you, is probably the best overall metric. But also EPA per play, which is another very good yeah, metric. Absolutely. points added per play. The quarterbacks they face in the next three weeks, in in a different order, all three of them are in the top eleven. They, so basically, top third, right? Thirty three, yeah, thirty two teams. Uh, top third quarterbacks, yeah, and and in really Stroud, Herbert, and Jared Goff. I don't think you would get an argument, uh, regardless of the metric being measured, 
that these are three of the top ten quarterbacks this year, this year in the National Football I think you would have said it last year except for C.J. Stroud wasn't here, but Jared Goff was there last year, too. Jared Goff was there, especially down the stretch Mm -hmm. last year, and uh, Herbert was was certainly there. The Chargers were, after all, a playoff team uh, last year. They won't be this year, most likely. But how about this? If you just go to passing EPA, because obviously we know that that Herbert and and Goff are not big runners, not to the extent Stroud is, at least, right? Stroud's not Lamar Jackson, but he moves. And Herbert certainly can run, but it's not. they don't do a lot of work with that. Passing EPA added on the season, Stroud is fifth, Herbert yep. is seventh, yep. Goff is eighth. Right. That's, that's Now, on the bright side, if you're looking at it, Josh Allen, who they've beaten, is third. Patrick Mahomes is sixth. Yeah. But but they've been and more Jordan up and Love, down. by the way, is at 11. I, I'm saying the, the amazing thing to me about Stroud is, I, apart from two or three games. Metronome steady. He's so steady. He really is. And he's across the board steady. Uh, you can talk about QBR. You can talk about passer rating. You can talk about cutting the season into uh, thirds up to this point, weeks one through four, five through eight, nine through 12, which you just talked about. He hasn't wavered. Most quarterbacks, even the very good ones, have had a period of real problems this year, and that applies to Josh Allen. You talk and, about and, that and, minus and, 50, and Mahomes right? too. 50 is that average with QBR. Yeah. In week one, his debut, yeah. QBR of 36 for Stroud. Not very good. No. In uh, the game against the Saints, in which they lost back in October, 37.4. And then the the win over Arizona, even though they did win that game, uh, he didn't play great with the three interceptions, 39.9. But yes. those are the only times in which he's even been under 50. Well, last week against Jacksonville, 78.0. Yeah. All right. On the QBR. Uh, well, throw, you, throw out that you Arizona mentioned the Arizona one. game. 68.8 against C- Cincinnati. Cincinnati, 67.5 against right. Tampa. Uh, you got him. 69.9 against Carolina. Right. right. So he's been wildly he's, consistent, since especially October over 29. Yeah. Counting October 29. He's had one clunker. He's had one clunker. And they won that and game. They won the game. They won the game. It wasn't very pretty. It was kind of ugly. Uh, they wouldn't have beaten most teams that day except for Arizona. There might have been Carolina. They might have beaten uh, maybe one or two other teams, but, boy, you'd be stretching it. Uh, they they were lucky that on an off day they were playing Arizona. If he has anything like that kind of game against Denver, Denver will win. Houston cannot oh, win yeah. without Stroud being in the 60s or 70s I agree. with QBR. And that that's, again, a more expansive measurement. Let's look at Russell Wilson, though. The last five straight starts, all wins for the Broncos. He's had at least one passing touchdown and no interceptions thrown during this winning streak. That's the longest active streak for any quarterback in the NFL. No other quarterback in the league right now has gone five straight games with no picks and at least one passing touchdown in every one of those games. No zero zeros. They're all one plus touchdown passes, and zero picks. It is the third longest such streak in the career of Russell Wilson. He had six games with at least one touchdown pass and no interceptions in 2020, pre-decline, and the year before, seven straight. That came in 2019. Again, one touchdown pass or more and no interceptions. That was pre-decline Russell Wilson. I would have been astonished. If somebody had told me at the start of this year, not that in in most 
areas, you know, he's either way up or kind of middle of the pack or lower third of the league that it would come out where he'd be probably not a top 10 quarterback by most measurements, but somewhere between 10 and 15. That would not have surprised me. But if somebody had told me he'd have a streak of five or more games with touchdown passes and no picks in every game, I'd have, I'd have been shocked. Well, and that's an out of that war. And it's an eight to zero. It hasn't been just one to zero. It's eight, eight touchdowns in those five games and no picks. Well, and, you're talking about two. Here's the deal. 202 yards per game, which is not going to blow anybody nope. away during the five-game winning Correct. streak. But get this. As you said, eight touchdown passes, zero interceptions. Completion percentage of 71.6. Who would have guessed that? Wow. Passer rating of 109.5. That's good in anybody's league and during the five-game winning streak. But people will fixate on the quantitative number, not the qualitative ones, the quantitative number of 202 yards per game and say, well, what's so great about that? Well, he's only throwing. He's not even throwing 25 times a game, right. I don't think, during no, this five-game so. winning streak. No, he's only broken 31 time against Minnesota. So, I mean, it, he threw 22 passes in the last game. Yeah. Yeah. And then that one was the, his completion percentage in the, the run would be much better, except that game he threw 59. 13 for 22, 13 for 22. which is not a great Not great. The other percent. game, 77, 82. I mean, it, it's been lights out. His QBR in, in two of the last three games, now the Minnesota one wasn't right. good, 32.4. Right. But the other two against Buffalo, 82.1. Cleveland, 89.3. Well, in That's, the first half, he ran like. He was yeah. the best rusher on That's the field. The leading day. the league level stuff. And, yeah, I, I think what we've talked about this a little bit, and we will talk about it over the course of the show, and we'll definitely talk about it Monday, depending on the results of the game. But what Wilson and Sean Payton seem to be doing is understanding, that, as you mentioned before, not a great year for quarterbacking and offense. The NFL's cycle right now is defenses are not letting big plays through. They're just not. Peyton and Wilson have sort of gotten ahead with it and said, well, if nobody's going to get big plays, let's lean into it and just make sure we nibble teams to death. And that's what they've been doing. And and either work in the occasional big play or get a pass interference penalty, sure. which is as good as a completion Absolutely. for explosive yardage, which is generally considered to be explosive plays, 16 or more yards, via the pass, right. 12 or more yards via the run. Yep. And the Broncos on explosives haven't been uh, terribly explosive during this five-game winning streak, but they've been explosive when they have had to be explosive. Final drive in Buffalo, for example. And the Broncos have yet, Wilson has yet to have a game without having at least one of those passes completed. Not the penalties, those don't count for him. But he has not had one game this year in which they haven't had at least one of those. And Sutton's come on, and, uh, you know, Judy's kind of receded, to be frank. Yes. Uh, Sutton's come on. Um, Troutman has been a little more involved in some big pass plays. Uh, great catch for a touchdown the other day against Cleveland. And, you know, if Javante Williams would catch a few more passes, uh, they'd be they'd be more successful in the area of throwing to the backs coming out of the backfield, but he's dropping some. Pirine's been great all around. And I would say on the offense, three guys have stepped out to me. And I just during these five weeks, I, I think Miners has been their best offensive yep. player from start to finish this year. But it's Garrett Bowles. Yes, it is. It's uh, Samanje P. Ryan and it's Cortland, Cortland Sutton, Sutton, who were doing Agreed collectively nothing 
at midseason. Here they are now with an opportunity to define their season. Biggest game for the Broncos in seven years. We're going to cover that, of course, but we'll turn our attention to the Avalanche, who dropped a game in Arizona. They have a busy weekend coming up, too. We'll break it down with our own. Kind of, sort of, dropped a game. In the NHL, NHL. there are losses, and then there are losses that don't hurt quite as much. I guess we'll talk about it and the weekend with MLA Sports' Eric Dean next. This is Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar on Mile High Sports. Rantanen back to McCarr. And now McCarr, Rantanen to the front. They bang away. Nachushkin. Oh, what a play. Josh Brown to break it up. In behind the net, though. And now back out high. McCarr again across. McKinnon scores. Oh, man. He picks the corner. Oh, second power play goal for the Avs. And we're not at a three. From the Arizona Coyotes Radio Network, as you could hear by the uh, sort of frustrated uh, sound of their voice, because that tied the game at 3-3, but the Avalanche go into overtime. Uh, I warned you about this guy by name yesterday, the pesky Coyotes, and Nick Bukestad, who seems to turn up for them all the time. He gets the unassisted goal in overtime as the Coyotes topple the Avalanche. The Avalanche also have games this weekend. Joining us Bukestad to talk about drew it. the penalty, yeah, and Drew's I know too. technically it was a uh, a four-on-four goal right. that won the game, but really it was a power play goal because the penalty had just expired. Right, and yeah. They, and they Byron had I think not had an opportunity to get back on yeah. yet. It was it was as it expired. Right. And uh, joining us to talk about it is Miley Sports lead Avalanche writer Run uh, Run Right Arif A A R I F is the handle. Arif Dean joins us, and uh, Arif, thanks for for stopping in. Um, a loss that I would say not not frustrating, but I talked about it before the game yesterday that I just feel like the avalanche need to kind of roll these sort of mediocre teams they're not doing it. It's not as if they're in a bad spot. They're certainly not, but there have been moments and Jared Benner's called this team out once this year for sort of careless play. I don't think that's necessarily what's happened in this game, but when you look at the abs lately, look at this game and then look at the next, next couple games coming up, what have you seen and what do you expect to see next? Uh, I'm seeing a I'm seeing a lot more consistency. I know I know it was a bad loss, and it's a team you ultimately, like you said, you want to roll them over. It's the Arizona Coyotes, but uh, it's hard to really pick at this game. I hate that the last time I was on this radio show was before they got blown out by the St. Louis Blues because right. for about two weeks I had a lot of criticism about this team, but I feel like that's withered away over the last couple of weeks because, <laughs> like. It, we did, you keep catching me with the glass half full. That's the issue. That that's not good for well, radio. No, yeah, like... no, but 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 Bednar, you 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 were picking up on what Bednar had been talking about even during the six and zero start. We're not playing our best. Yeah. We're we're yep. we're missing some elements. We're not quite clicking, and we're we're getting by. But the suggestion was we're going to pay the price at some point. They certainly did after the six and zero start there for about seven games. But I, I, I agree yeah. with you. I think this game was a little different um, last night because you, you get a t- I mean, they've beaten now, I believe, the last three Stanley Cup champions, one right after the other. Uh, it, yep. Tampa Bay, Vegas, and now the Avalanche. And getting a point out of Arizona at this point, I, 
yeah, you'd rather have two, but, you know, they were the team that trailed in the third period and got that power play goal that ended up earning them a point. And, you know, you hate to see them lose in the last seconds of overtime because you know they'd have a big edge in the shootout, and Georgiev is a pretty good shootout goaltender. But, uh, hey, the Stars lost 4-3 against Calgary, and Calgary isn't playing nearly as well as Arizona is. Yeah, and the Avalanche rolled the Calgary Flames last weekend in a very one-sided, dominant game. It's uh, So the reason why it's a little bit more glass half full for me is because, first of all, the Az are 15-6-1. They are a top-five team in the NHL right now. They were, they were the second team to reach the 15-win mark. They are the best team over the last three weeks. Uh, they have the most power play goals over right. the last three weeks. They have the most goals over the last three weeks. And the reality is twofold. Number one, you're not going to win every game. So when you lose, it's good that you can at least get a power play goal and get it to overtime because this was the issue we had with the Seattle loss and with the Nashville loss was they gave it away in that final minute of regulation where their record would look a heck of a lot better if it was 15-4-3 compared to 15-6-1. They gave away a couple of points. Well, 15-4-3 is Boston's record. So that, that's exactly, how close yeah. they are. Yeah, at least you can now say – they got a power play goal from Nathan McKinnon late on a vintage one-timer from, from Kel McCarr and forced overtime. And then obviously we saw what happened in overtime. They killed the penalty. They couldn't, you know, McCarr was trying to slide the puck under Georgiev's pad. It ended up going all the way in. But McCarr was on the ice for two and a half minutes. It is what it is. Yeah. But at least you got it to overtime. And, and the second reason why it's not a big an issue for me is, guys, I don't know what it is about the Arizona Coyotes. The Avalanche always always have issues with them. It's the true. Tough year it's true. It's <laughs> always the, been the case. Yeah. It's been the 2021, 2022, and 2023 season. We're talking 2021, they were the President's Trophy winners. 2022, they won the Stanley Cup. 2023, we saw what happened. The Avalanche always go into Arizona and have an issue. And I think the funny thing is the last time they were there, they, it required a late goal in the third period with the goalie pulled to tie it up and then found the Chushkin to win it in the eighth round of a shootout. That's what it took in March of 2023 to beat the stinking team after the trade deadline, after they had already sold off everybody and were pretty much tanking the Coyotes, that is. So it just always seems to be a team that gives them issues. But I look at yesterday's game, similar to what, you know, Coach Jared Bednar said was that it's, it, there's a lot of positives to take. You know, they, they didn't necessarily play a terrible game. I think he, he said uh, in the second period they had a little bit of a lull, but they fought hard in the third. They fought hard in the first. Um, and they looked like a good team that just came away with one of two points in a game that could have gone either way. Now they have the this rest of this abbreviated road trip, a short road trip, but action-packed. I mean, they have tonight off, but then they go Saturday and Sunday in Anaheim and then in yep. L.A. Uh, do you expect to see Ivan Prosvitov in net for one of those? I would imagine so. I would probably think that uh, Prosvitov gets tomorrow. The L.A. Yeah. Kings are... So when you look at the when you look at the standings in the NHL, there are four teams that have a better points percentage than the Avs, and that's what I like to go by this early, just because you know the, the the game discrepancy. Like Vegas has played 24 games, LA has played 20 games. It's unfair to say Vegas is better than LA. Reality is, LA is the top team in the Western Conference in points percentage, and then Vegas is just barely edging out the Avalanche for second. So. And then on the alternative, the Anaheim Ducks have lost, I believe it's now nine straight games, every single one of them in regulation. They went from being a nice surprise team early to a team that uh, now all of a sudden can't win a game. I'm pretty sure that stretch started in the game against the Avs at Ball Arena, the the nine straight losses, because I think they had beat Nashville the day before or something like that, and then they came to Colorado and they got beat by the Avs and haven't won since, all in regulation. So if you ask me, I, I I I would... 
assume and recommend, obviously, but assume that Prostatov goes Saturday, Ivan gets the goal, you save your top goalie, you save Alexander Georgiev for Sunday against the LA Kings, a team that you beat on the road and a team that you are now playing on the road again for the second time this season uh, as one of the, you know, other Stanley Cup contenders coming out of the Western Conference. So that's the way that I would probably see it uh, unfold. And, uh, you know, I think it's, it's, a, it's a much-deserved rest for Georgiev to, to get that game off against Anaheim. And what you were saying earlier about rolling these bad teams, this is a team you want to roll. You want to be able to smoke the Anaheim Ducks with Ivan Prostatov in goal so that McKinnon, McCarr, Ranton, and Taves, you can roll your four lines, play them 18, 19 minutes, not 25 to 30, and save them for that big game on Sunday. With the line combinations now, of course, the Avs are accustomed to, to being without uh, Arturi Lekanen, and that's not a lot of fun, but it feels as if they're starting to crystallize a bit. What are you seeing with the Avs? Uh, they get health. You know, Cogliano is is uh, kind of back. Olafson is now sort of back. You're, you're seeing enough of the, the these lines sort of uh, reestablish themselves. How are you feeling about these sort of rejiggered lines, including uh, the performance of a guy like a Tatar or Druan who are trying to get themselves uh, into the regular spots as well? Guys, this is something that I want to write about. The, the line combinations, the forward units and their usage is one of the most fascinating things I've seen in a long time. In the sense where... As, as soon as Lekkinen went down, it became even more kind of clear toward this, this uh, idea that I have. But last year, the Avalanche had a clear top line. They had kind of a second line with Rodriguez and Comfer and Nachushkin. And then they had a couple of, let's call them, fourth lines. Like, they didn't have the depth. Right. This year, they have the depth. This year, your fourth line, when McDermott's not in the lineup, when your fourth line is TV Ranta, Olofsson, and Cagliano, your fourth line is giving you 10-11 minutes. Here's the interesting part. Your third line is also giving you 10-11 minutes, and your second line is giving you about 11-12 minutes. So what you're seeing now is Nathan McKinnon is playing about 25-26 minutes, and the other three lines are evenly distributed. I've never seen anything like it. I asked Jared about it a month and a half ago. Like Ryan Johansson's ice time is more on par with Olofsson and Colton than it is as that middle that middle man, that second line. Maybe it would change if Lekkinen was healthy and, you know, it was Lekkinen, Druin, and Johansson, and you can roll with, like, a more traditional second line. Right. But what I'm seeing from the Avalanche right now is they have a ton of trust in their fourth line. They obviously love that third line. Who doesn't with Wood, Colton, and O'Connor? But the second line is not separating itself from the pack. In fact, a lot of times when you look at your three centermen, Johansson is getting like your three sentiment behind McKinnon. Johansson is getting the least amount of ice time. It is really fascinating. He is being very picky with how he uses that second line to get them to click. And they are scoring more. And Druin is playing better. And Johansson's playing better. Tatar is right about to, you know, right about to break through and score his first goal. He's setting up some good goals, but he is using them 10 to 13 minutes, if even that, at even strength and giving them a chance to slowly pick it up. It's a clear thing to me. It's number one, you need Lekkinen back, and number two, you need another trade deadline acquisition to play in the top six. But the difference between last year and this year is Comfer and Rodriguez gave you a heck of a lot more than Johansson and Tatar are currently giving you. But So you, you kind of lost a little bit in that second line, but the third and the fourth line are miles ahead of where they were last year. And obviously, no pun intended, that includes Miles Wood. Um. I want to ask you about uh, what's going on defensively uh, now that Samuel Girard is uh, uh, getting treatment from uh, uh, the NHL's uh, assistance 
program, and I, I thought showed great courage last week in coming out publicly as he did and saying very forthrightly that he's had anxiety and depression issues uh, that have led to alcohol abuse, and he's getting the treatment he needs. And I know his statement uh, drew praise from his teammates, uh, from the coaching staff uh, already, uh, as far as I can see, a pretty popular player in the locker room anyway, and doing something like that and, and, and showing that kind of courage, uh, particularly by comparison with one other uh, uh, veteran NHL player who uh, was cut this week under very mysterious uh, circumstances. I, I thought it was commendable. I also think it has led, although last night might not have been the greatest example, to a repairing of Byram and Manson, which, uh, again, last night's not the best example of that because neither was very good last night. But generally speaking, that combination seems to be working better than Byram and Girard were. And uh, to be honest, last night, in a plus-minus sense, the best defense tandem was Jack Johnson and Caleb Jones. (laughs) Although, obviously, they didn't play a ton of minutes but they were plus players last night. Everybody else on defense was minus one or minus two. Yeah, I think uh, the biggest thing for me right now is trying to get Bowen Byram back to where he should be. He's had a little bit of a slow start, and it's nothing to be concerned over. He's a young player that uh, any team, if he was made available, would trade for him, and most teams he would be their number one defenseman, and obviously that's most teams. Uh, if you can get Byram back to where he is, that pairing with him and Manson would look a heck of a lot better because you know what Manson's going to provide, and what Manson's going to provide is the physical edge that we saw yesterday. And despite him having not the best game and him only playing 15, I believe it was 15-50 if I remember correctly, but that was uh, under the circumstance where he was pulled off the ice for five minutes because of a fighting major, and he also had a minor earlier right. in the game, I believe. Right. Um, that's kind of what I wanted to touch on was the fighting major is the fact that he came in and and he did what he does. He's been playing sound defensively a little bit better than he was early in the season. Uh, Obviously this is a guy that was still recovering from some injury issues over the off season. So he's starting to settle in, but he comes in, he lays a big hit on Boyd uh, and then he gets challenged to a fight uh, from Liam O'Brien, former app who is a tough customer and pretty much beats, he beats him cleanly in that fight. He didn't beat the wheels off of William O'Brien, but he did win that fight. And in the process, drew a two-minute minor for instigating, which was then what led to the Nathan McKinnon game tying goal. That's what you want to see from Josh Manson. That's his role. Play sound defensively, lay out some big hits, and when you have to answer the bell, you answer the bell. It drew a penalty after winning a fight and led to the game tying goal, gave the Avs a point in the standings. You can't ask for more from him. Bowen Byram has been struggling, though. He's not where he should be offensively, and his defensive game, I believe he was a minus two yesterday. Obviously, it's not the end-all, be-all stat, but uh, he was a minus two yesterday. The Avs are still putting him out there quite a bit and playing him in big minutes uh, because he needs to. He needs the minutes to kind of break He does. Like he needs to play heavy long. minutes, and he needs to play in games, which we forget uh, the last two years he hadn't played very much, not, and not in the regular yeah. season anyway. Yeah, and it's great to see him healthy. The one issue right now is when you're missing Gerard and when Bowen Byram is giving you 21.58 of ice time is what he played yesterday, but not at his top. Well, then you have Kale McCarr and, and, and Devon Caves. Granted, there was an overtime in there where they yeah. played a two-minute shift. Right. Kale McCarr was at, was at over 28 minutes. Yes. Devon Caves is at over 26. You don't and you want, to don't want them playing that much. No. 
Yeah, it's, it's the same issue you have with the forward core. McKinnon was over 25, Rantanen was over 25, Nitrushkin was 25 on the nose. You need to have other players step up and take that ice time away. That's why you need a Lekkanen back in the lineup. That's why you need a Gerard hopefully at some point back in the lineup. And if not Gerard, you need Bowen Byram to pick up his play because when Bowen Byram is playing well, you can trust him and Manson to get a lot more minutes together rather than using Byram sporadically and and methodically like with with Kale here and with Devon there and kind of switching him up in, in, in the lineup. We'll find out how that shakes out this weekend. The Avs uh, tour Southern California. They'll start with Anaheim tomorrow, Los Angeles against the Kings on Sunday. And in the meantime, you want to give a follow to Arif Dean. Run right, Arif. A-A-R-I-F is the handle on social. Catch everything he's putting together for the Avs on My Life Sports. Get these insights and more every single time from Arif. Thanks so much. Have a wonderful weekend. Thank you. Appreciate it, gentlemen. You guys as well. All right. We'll keep an eye on the Avalanche. And, of course, while the Broncos are going, big game in the NBA as well for the defending champion Denver Nuggets. They get the Suns tonight. Uh, Jamal Murray is back. What does that mean? What does it look like? How much does this game necessarily matter on the road? The Nuggets are favored. We'll talk about it next on Miley Sports. Sandy Clough and Chandro Tar, presented by Superbook Sports. Download the Superbook app and start winning today at Superbook.com. Here's Sean and Sandy. The Denver Nuggets are on a three-game winning streak, uh, looking pretty good, despite the fact they've dealt with some injuries, and we'll talk about injuries here because, boy, the game against the Suns, um, that's the story. Obviously, for the game for the Denver Nuggets, Jamal Murray did play in the game against Houston. He is listed as questionable for tonight. Not that he got worse necessarily, but they just might not want to play. Well, they won't play in back-to-back games. Right. Uh, Aaron Gordon is also listed as questionable. And he did not play the other night. Correct. We thought he might, and they might wait another game on Murray. Uh, Turns out, you know, Gordon's the same principle as Murray in terms of the, the, the heel injury he's got. I'm with you. you like, don't have to rush him bother. back. 100% or don't play him. Holiday's done fine as a starting replacement. It doesn't affect the bench rotation when Holiday starts. And now Reggie Jackson, um, at least for one of these two games, will be coming off the bench. He'll probably start in the other one, the one they sit Murray for. And, you know, they're playing these back-to-back games and, you know, you don't play guys coming off injuries in, in back-to-back games. And the Suns don't have Booker tonight. They yeah, don't Devin have, Booker sprained his ankle on Wednesday against the Raptors. Booker will not play tonight. Uh, Beal has already missed 15 games this season. And he'll miss last a eight. lot more. He'll miss a lot injury. more at least three weeks. So no Booker, no Beal tonight. So you have... Phoenix can't get even two of those three guys. No, and this is what I told everyone would happen. As soon as they made that trade and, and brought in Bradley Beal, it sounds great. But he'll never plays. No, never plays at, at this point in, in their careers. It's going to be hard. And I know Booker is comparatively young, but the injury setup here has been significant yeah. for, for Devin Booker. Oh, you see, it's Booker and, and Brad now are a little yeah. like Davis and LeBron. Booker the Lakers are going to play earlier in the year. You know, coming for the calf injury, then he turns his ankle. 
I know Booker's only 27, but the truth is that injuries are actually catching up to him. Uh, Durant, of course, at 35 years old, and Bradley Beal's 30 and, and hurt uh, often. So, uh, in, in this case, it's an interesting game, even though I, I suspect because of that, you probably you won't see Murray or Gordon, I suspect. You'll have uh, Jokic doing his thing, and then then we'll find out. Because, yes, you have Durant. Uh, Yusuf Nurkic is now the center for the Suns. I think that's interesting. Nurkic is at least one of the guys that isn't afraid to body Jokic up. He's not afraid. And make him work. He's not, I agree. He's not afraid of Jokic, and Jokic kicks his butt uh, Pretty uh, on a regular basis. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's uh, the so truth. It, it, but at least, look, at least Nurkic makes Jokic work if you're the Suns, and you're thinking we have that. But uh, this feels like one of those games where... If Michael Porter Jr. has a good game, I think the Nuggets will win. And I think it more or less boils down to that because the rest of what I think you get is rather predictable. I understand that the bench's predictability is inherently unpredictable because of the relative youth. And and trusting the bench on the road is is tricky. And if you don't have Murray, Reggie Jackson has to start, and I I understand that. Right. But I, I think well, this, is, I, I this would, really boils down actually, to MPJ. Yeah, I would actually, if you're going to sit Murray for one of these two games, I'd, I'd sit him tonight and play him in Sacramento right. uh, tomorrow night. Me too. Uh, Phoenix and Sacramento have been funny teams this year. Uh, they're, they're playing okay. Phoenix is 11-7. and seven. Sacramento's 10-7. and seven. Both are plus three on the uh, road win home loss differential scale, which is fine. Uh, everybody in the West uh, among the top 16 is very closely bunched. Minnesota, Denver, Oklahoma City, Dallas, Phoenix, Sacramento. Not much to choose among those teams uh, so far. Uh, Lakers, they, I think you drop down a notch after that when you get to the 7 through 10. Uh, Lakers, New Orleans, Houston, Golden State, also tightly bunched. Uh, I'll tell you what, even the even the Clippers, uh, who I don't think will make the playoffs, and I don't think they'll make even the play-in tournament, but... They've had eight at home and 10 on the road, and their record is 8-10. and ten. Uh, Portland had a nice road win last night. Portland's one of those teams that can be dangerous on the road because I think people underestimate them. They're yeah. a lousy team at home, but on the road, well, they, they, have the, they have some young talent, and they can, they can catch a napping. Uh, Utah, Memphis, and San Antonio are bad teams. Utah's especially bad on the road. And, and, and in the East, there's a little more uh, separation uh, I, I love Orlando's start. Uh, I think that's an up-and-coming team. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's a fluke that Orlando's 13-5. and five. Will they maintain that pace? No. Are they a fluke? No, they're not a fluke. They're a pretty solid basketball team, and I think they'll make the playoffs. Milwaukee's doing about what you'd expect Milwaukee to do. Uh, Philadelphia, same thing. Knicks, same thing. Miami, same thing. Uh, Indiana, uh, a Another one of those teams, their record is deceivingly good. Uh, I, they're not really playing very well, uh, even with Bruce Brown. And they've had a heavy home lineup. schedule, 11 home games to and they, six and they can't, games. They can't guard anybody. Right. Uh, Cleveland, mediocre. Uh, Atlanta, basically 500 team. Brooklyn, the same. Give Brooklyn Toronto's the after okay. dumping everything, you know, bouncing. Yeah. The, they're, well, they're okay. okay. Yeah. yeah, they're all right. Now, and the bad teams are Charlotte, Chicago. Washington, yeah, Washington's and Detroit, all the tanking, and, and Detroit, as we mentioned yesterday, will be lucky to win. But the, for Phoenix, it's interesting because yes, they have that overall uh, eleven and seven, and that looks pretty promising. But the truth is, against the West, they're eight and five. 
I, that's I mean for a team with yeah, supposedly you're playing, but that yes, talent, they haven't been overwhelming. Nuggets are eleven and four. They have the most wins in conference of of any yeah. team. Yeah, well, and, that's that's what you like. And uh, apart from one game in which they lost in Minnesota, uh, Minnesota's start has come against everybody else, and I, I think Minnesota's formidable. And they won without Edwards the other night, which I thought was... And how about this? For Minnesota, it is December 1st. Uh, Yesterday, November 30th, was, until today, new record, by the way, for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Good for them. November 30th was the latest in franchise history in which they've ever had the top seed in the West. Isn't that something? And here they are. Of course, they have it today on the uh, the Garnett team. Yeah. That's, Uh That's the latest they've ever held the top seed. So right now, Minnesota in, for them at least, uncharted territory and uh they're legitimate look that they are yeah uh, yeah unless they really uh, here's get a rash of injuries and you know why they're legit they have a bench they have some depth they're legitimately a deep team and i I don't think the coach is great but bench is a a good coach uh you know they they're going to be around the top four all year uh if not first then second third we are seeing a little bit of, of the They're NBA again, and, uh, you know, everything in sports is cyclical. It is in the NBA as well. But you talk about those good teams. You know, Boston traded for Kristaps Porzingis. They're obviously very good. We knew that already. But yeah. but they added size. Orlando right. has their top two players, Wagner and Bancaro, are both 6'10". Uh, Milwaukee yeah. Bucks, of yeah. course, have right. 6'11". Uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo. Right. The Sixers have and, defending and MVP, well. uh, Joel Embiid. With, you're talking well. about Minnesota. You're talking about Gobert and Towns. Uh, Jokic with the Nuggets. Uh, this is a, becoming again a bit a of a big man's, big man's league. Game. It, it is, you know, the, coming the, back to the it. guards. Uh, you know, Lillard after is, being like a wing player league for the previous eight to ten years, Lillard has big guys are coming me. back. Lillard has impressed me in Milwaukee. You can't be uh, surprised by that, uh, really. Uh, yeah, I'm wow. a little surprised. I've been a because Lillard he's fan, had he's had to adjust his game. Sure, he's not the guy. Still but when he's had to be the guy, when Giannis is fighting with the time, rookie baby. coach, I'm saying that's a big deal. Giannis is fighting with the coach. Yeah. And he ain't backing down either. They did, he had they had a skirmish, very public skirmish, basically screaming at each other on the bench. And Giannis had to get back down. And the coach was wrong. Uh, you know, he didn't back down a bit. And the coach is a rookie coach. Right. And, and, you know, when Giannis has been right, Lillard's backed off. But when Giannis has either been hurt or in foul trouble or fighting with a coach, he stepped up as he would at times in Portland. And I find that impressive. He's adjust. He's the anti-James Hart. Yes. Okay. Who won't adjust his game for anybody. No, Lillard has been the, the guy thought, forever and decided, okay, I get it. I'm not I'm the guy now. Good for him. But, that is a hard good adjustment. For him, it's I, a hard I think adjustment. that's a harder adjustment than people think. It is. And he was kind of, in a way, coddled in Portland uh, in, the, in the sense that they didn't demand that he play much defense, and they tried to give him everything he wanted, and... In turn, he stayed loyal to them for a very long period of time. And when he wanted out, he didn't cry like Harden when they didn't right. trade him five minutes later. Right. So I, I'm I'm impressed with that. I've and I understand it's Harden. it's maybe I, a relatively low bar, but when you're dealing a sport where there are more James Hardens than there are Damian Lillards, I, I think 
the Damian Lillards of the world deserve some credit. And I'll tell you which one's likelier to win a title. Just their game. Yep, and I, and that makes Lillard likelier to win a title than Harden too, because you know he doesn't draft to reinvent the team around. And he himself. should. Yeah, I, yeah. I'd much rather see Lillard win than Harden win. The Nuggets take on the Harden's Suns tonight, or at least some of the Nuggets will take on some of the Suns tonight, I suppose. <laughs> and then uh, after that, of course, uh, you know, this weekend they do get that game in Sacramento and then get a little bit of a break until Wednesday. But that game against Sacramento, I think, may be more compelling than this game against Phoenix, where, quite frankly, it'd uh, be great if the Nuggets won. Don't really care if they don't, as long as they don't, for some reason, don't get blown out. Uh, they're in a really, really good spot. And right now, look, Ideal position. That's what we're talking about. Look at this. The, the Avalanche position. are in a great spot. The yep. Nuggets are in a great spot. Yep. Here are the CSU Rams unbeaten and ranked in a great 7-0. spot. And the Denver Broncos, after winning five consecutive yeah. games, find themselves in a great spot where they have control over their own destiny. We'll break that down with our friend from Fox 31, Mick Miller, next on Miley Sports.